Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper and Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel. I want to thank you for the download. Big day at Baseball America today, obviously, with the top 100 prospects being revealed. It feels like every day is a big day at Baseball America, which is one of the reasons why we like working here. But, uh, guys, uh, some our are top, bigger than others. Some are bigger than Some girls are bigger than others, uh, as uh, the Smiths saying. And today is a big day for us. We'll see just how big. We're getting close to 50,000 followers on Twitter. If you're not already following us at Baseball America, is the Twitter handle? Please uh, join in to get the fifty thousand followers uh, sooner like or later. On Facebook, I mean, absolutely. Wasn't by much, but uh, the Facebook, our Facebook list readers got a, about a five minute heads up on who was number one ahead of everyone else. Today. Thanks, thanks to our content management system, which is creaky. I yeah, believe is the, is the best well, way to say that. Intentional though, I didn't want to get Facebook. You know, so you can also like us on Facebook. But uh, Jim Callis, you spearhead uh, a couple of projects for us. Uh, The two that we're really probably known for the best are draft coverage and our prospect handbook. And uh, by spearheading those two things, you're as familiar as anybody in the game with these three players uh, that ranked at the top of our top 100. Now, we went Harper 1, Moore 2, Trout 3. That's Bryce Harper, Matt Moore, Mike Trout. Um, I know that you... Did not have it that way, and you're at the top of your personal list. I kind of feel like that's a, one of the reasons why our list is so good, is that it is a consensus list. Um, you also reported on how similar these three players are and, and how tough the ranking is. Why don't you and JJ discuss a little bit um, kind of the similarities and how, how all three of these guys kind of could be ranked one way or the other, but why Harper seems to be the consensus choice of the industry. Well, I think with Harper, it's just that power jumps out at people, and I think that's why when we, you know, as part of the project, I talked to 11 player personnel experts, and then, you know, we got pretty much every different combination uh, you you could with those guys, but Harper came out first, and they actually had Trout ahead of Moore, so Trout 2 and Moore 3. I had Trout 1, Moore 2, Harper 3, and I think six of the eight people who voted on for us had Harper 1, Moore 2, Trout 3. I mean... I think the great thing with these guys, and it's like this with a lot of the prospect stuff, and we keep hammering this point home, there's no definitive right answer. It's it's a matter of right. taste. It's a matter of opinion. I, I think, you know, and I, I use this analogy a lot, you could throw those guys in the hat and pull them out in any order and defend them. I, I like, for me, I like Mike Trout's all-around brilliance. I think he can beat you more ways than Bryce Harper. Um, but, you know, if I picked second in a draft and somebody took Trout ahead of me and I got, you know, quote-unquote stuck with Bryce Harper, <laughs> I, I'd have no problem with that either. And at the same time, you, know, you can argue, I think, that, you know, and some of the guys did this with the sidebar, that, that, that a true number one starter, that type of pitcher is, in, you know, almost impossible to find and even harder to acquire if he's on another team. And so you have guys who say that's the, the rarest beast of all, so they take Matt Moore. JJ, I'm always surprised when I see people, even pro personnel guys, talk about Trout as a five-tool guy and not Harper. I think Bryce Harper, he's a plus runner. He's got a better arm. He's got, obviously, better power. How is he not a five-tool guy? He's a pure five-tool guy for me. I think you could argue that when it comes to the actual game of baseball, that Harper is a more a more valuable five-tool guy. Because in Trout's case, the tool that you have the most questions about is the power. Now, Correct. this is not a knock on Trout. Correct. But the speed doesn't play up. The speed is not going to play as much a, uh, a part of his game day in, day out, year in, year out for the next 20 years because... I think it's I not think, as impactful right. as Harper's biggest strength. The, the reason I say that is, is that I, I've 
talking, you know, when I did the Mike Trout story for our Player of the Year story, had guys, you know, scouts who scouted him who said, look, if you want Mike Trout to steal 50 bases for you, he, he can. Right. I don't think you want to, though, they'd say. Because if you do that, you're running more risk of him getting banged up, of him going on the DL, things like that. It's like not that his speed's not going to be important and not that his speed's still not going to be impressive as he gets older and as he ages. And right. All, but the the point they were making is is that he's probably going to be more of a 25-30 steal guy year in, year out because you want him to pick his spots. Right. He'll, still, he'll, he'll go first to third a lot. He'll go first to home some. Right. Those kind of things. He'll make plays in the outfield. Harper... The power, if it just stays what it is, like you don't have to. Most nineteen-year-olds, you're almost always talking about, man. And as he gets bigger, right? As he fills out, he'll have more power. He'll have more power. That's how we talk about right. with Trout. That's how we talk about with Trout. Like he's got the raw power. He's still figuring out how to make it playable, the, consistent the, game power. The crazy thing is, is Bryce Harper hasn't needed to increase his power to have big league plus plus power since he was a sophomore in high school. Pretty much. And As a he, sophomore in high school, if you compared his power to right. big leaguers, you'd say, oh, it compares pretty fast. And then he proved it when he was would have been a junior in high school when he did it with wood bats. I'll be, and it's junior college competition. You can't get too carried away. But the raw power was there. The thing that surprises me, Jim, is that um, that, that uh, one of the personnel guys kind of knocked uh, Harper's like base running and defense. I've, everyone I talk to has always said this guy runs the bases hard, aggressively, He's got 55 or 60 speed on a 20 to 80 scale, and he is an, an asset defensively. I mean, I think he played 36 games in left field last year just to at double-A just to get some experience in left field. He had seven assists in 36 games. I mean, this guy's arm is a, a weapon. Uh, I'm surprised. Are you surprised at all? Do you, I, I feel like Harper, the only reason that Harper, I'm not trying to knock anybody on this. I feel like the biggest reason, not the only reason, the biggest reason why Bryce Harper is not a unanimous number one uh, is not just the quality of Moore and Trout. That's significant. I think the biggest reason is the the quote that you had in the sidebar, which was his likability is low. That his his makeup, likability, however you want to put it, turns off some people. I feel like that's the only reason why he's not the unanimous number one. Not the only. I shouldn't say that, but I feel like that's the biggest reason why he's not the unanimous number one. Um, you know, I'm not sure about that because you know the thing is there are a lot of the best players in baseball aren't particularly likable. Um, you know, Barry Bonds, who's probably the greatest hitter we've seen in the last, you know, 50 years, is not real likable. Right, and uh, it's the mid-90s. In the mid-90s, though, Jim, because he wasn't likable, he resented the fact that he wasn't considered as good as Ken Griffey Jr., that Ken Griffey Jr., who was more likable, was considered the best all-around player in baseball when Bonds felt that he clearly was. I think so, fans might have felt that way. I don't think you would have had teams, you know, said, hey, we'd rather have Griffey than Bond. What I was getting at is, I don't think likability is that major. I mean, a couple guys brought up his makeup, and a couple guys also brought up the makeup in the context that he's so focused on baseball, which maybe isn't a good thing for his maturity, but it's a good thing for him being the best player he can be. I, I just think people, you know, again, you're nitpicking when you're comparing these guys. Right. There are some people who question if Harper's really going to hit for much average, because they, they, they think, and I know he's made strides with it, but they think that, he, you know, he's a Max effort isn't the best way to describe a swing, but he swings with some effort. That he that he has he takes he takes a healthy cut. Yep. And they wonder you know, against you know, really good pitching, is he going to hit for average? You know, I think part of that's because he hit two sixty in Double A last year, even though he was nineteen. Um, I think in terms of the speed and the defense, 
you know, comparing him to Trout. Trout's an up the middle guy, and I think some people give him an edge because Harper's a corner guy. Harper is a plus runner, but he's more of a plus runner out underway. And you know, over time, as he gets bigger and stronger, is he really going to be a plus runner? I mean, I'm just nitpicking. I, mean, I have no problems with Bryce Harper. And I do think they both are are five tool players in different ways. And I think the reason I, I don't think he'd be unanimous, but I think the reason that he's the number one guy for us and he was the number one guy in the people I surveyed is like what you guys were just alluding to. If you're going to pick one tool that any of these guys have, or really one tool that any prospect in baseball has right now, you take Bryce Harper's power. And and I've used this line a few times that you almost can't put any kind of projection on him because it's almost too limiting. Like for me, right. any minor leaguer, I, I think in a way it's ridiculous to say, that guy's going to hit more than 40 home runs in the big leagues. Yeah, it could, I mean, you're just, you're, you're, I mean, that, that 40 home runs is even a crazy projection. But like, 40 home runs seems low for Bryce Harper. Uh, it does you know, seem I had low. an Ask the A question a couple weeks ago um, where somebody said, oh, they thought it was crazy. People were putting him in the same class, class as Mike Stanton. How could you say he has better power than Mike Stanton? Well, if I had to stack these two guys up and, and you made me bet my life on who's going to hit more home runs in the big leagues over the long haul, I take Bryce Harper, and I love Mike Stanton. Mike Stanton might hit, you know, I mean, put crazy projections out there. If you're going to bet on guys in the big leagues, young guys, you know, to get to 500 home runs, I mean, I'll put that on Mike Stanton. And Bryce yep. Harper has more power, I think, more raw power than Mike Stanton. He's done more at his age than, than Mike Stanton was doing at that age. So well, to me, those guys are so similar in terms of their power. And the one edge to me, I hate to be to sound like Matt Eddy on this one, but I do think that the biggest edge is that Bryce Harper's left-handed. <laughs> I think it helps. I think he's going to have the platoon advantage a lot more than Mike Stanton is, and that's why I think he's going to hit more home runs. That uh, maybe I'm overdoing it on the platoon advantage, but uh, I think it helps. And I I really think it's it's amazing uh, that when you talk about his 40 home run you know potential and that kind of thing, and that there are some people who question his ability to hit for average and whether he'll be a 260 hitter or better than that. Um, that when you did a sidebar on comparisons that you got on these two players, I loved the comparison you got comparing Bryce Harper to Reggie Jackson. I think it fits in so many ways. Um, obviously, Harper's a little bit bigger physically than, than, than Reginald Martinez Jackson was and is. Um, but the can you imagine any other who I can't imagine any other player in today's age calling himself the straw that stirs the drink more than Bryce Harper. You know, and he seems to want to play for the Yankees already too. So. Uh... Uh, no, I agree. I, I love that comp, too. Uh, you know, it was interesting because it was hard to compare these guys to people. I, I thought there were great comps on all these guys. You know, Bryce Harper, people, the power is so ridiculous. People were having a hard time with that comp. Right. You know, Matt Moore, there, there was, you know, again, his stuff is so unique. It was hard to come up with a good comp. I got a couple Mark Langstons on him. I think I my favorite I love the Mark Langston. I love the Mark Langston comp because physically my, there's some resemblance as well as far as just the body type. You know, and then some, I had a guy compare him to Randy Johnson say, you know, Matt Moore's, you know, more developed than Randy Johnson was at the same age. Obviously, he's not six foot ten, but if you look at the stuff and the way they can dominate, that was good. You know, I, I've heard Mickey Mantle comps on Mike Trout back to when he was in the Midwest League, and I actually heard a new one. I, I kind of like he got compared to to a Ricky Henderson in center field, which I, I, which love I thought was that an interesting comp. one. I, I think I liked that comp almost better than the Reggie Jackson. And what JJ was talking about before, um, and JJ had to step away a little bit to do a radio show. But what, you, what JJ mentioned before about like the Ricky Henderson type, like if there's anybody who physically could withstand the rigors of stealing 100 bases, I could see Mike Trout because he got that comp to Brian Urlacher, uh, which we've had previously uh, when he was in the Futures game a couple years ago too. 
um, I really like that comparison because Ricky Henderson was, I mean, you compare Ricky Henderson to say a Vince Coleman or Willie Wilson or other prolific, Omar Moreno, other prolific base dealers of that artificial surface era. And the, the separator is that Ricky was much more physical, thicker, stronger, and more explosive than those other guys who were kind of like greyhounds. And that's not, uh, you know, that's not Ricky Henderson and that's not Mike Trout. They're, they're more, like, I guess, I guess you'd say thoroughbreds where, you know, obviously a horse is going to be a little bit more physical than a greyhound. I'm, I'm going crazy with the comps there. Uh, but I love the physicality and the power speed comparison between Trout and Ricky Henderson. I mean, that, that's putting a lot on a player. Ricky Henderson is one of the most unique players in baseball history. Um, but I loved that comparison. And do you think Mike Trout, uh, do, do you think he's physical enough to – do you think he'll be a guy who steals those kind of bases, uh, Jim? I know the game seems to have changed a little bit, but do you think his, his speed will play, or do you think he's going to be more of a, a power guy as, as his game evolves? Oh, man, I think that'll be one of the, kind of the things that's fun to see with Trout. I mean, I do think – I mean, you, you, we talk about the 20 to 80 scouting scale, and, and guys will joke and say, you know, Trout's an 85 runner, Trout's a 90 runner. I, I, I just think the game's changed, and I don't think he – um, I, you know, I don't think you're gonna have you know Mike Trout calling himself Mike, and I don't think he's got that kind of ego where he's gonna go out and try to steal 100 plus bases. You know, I don't think today you like like JJ was saying. You know, you want to have your guy beat his body up. I do think he has the speed that that if they wanted to make him a leadoff hitter and said run wild, you know, you know, you got the green light, we want you to run at any time. Uh, you know, I think he could. I think he could. You know, lead the American League in steals one year if he wanted. But at the same time, you know, I think his power is valuable. I mean, I, I do think, you know, if you want to kind of, you know, average what people projected his power at, I think they see him as a twenty to twenty-five home run guy. So I think, you know, I think he could. He could be that leadoff guy with that big power if you wanted him to be. He could also, I mean, I think be a number three hitter. It'll be interesting to see what the Angels do with him over the long haul. It's the Baseball America podcast. Uh, John Manuel and Jim Callis uh, will be joined again later by J.J. Cooper. Um, we've talked about our top trio. Jim, unless you want to go back to those guys, I think the other uh, interesting point to bring up early in the top 100 is the two big off-season uh, international signees who uh, are on our top 100. Yu Darvish, the uh, Japanese right-hander, uh, signed with the obviously signed with the Texas Rangers back in December. I guess it was, or maybe it was early January, I should say. And you went to Cespedes, who signed uh, about a week and a half ago, mid-February, with the Oakland Athletics. We ranked Darvish fourth, Cespedes 14th, Jim. Um, one of our Twitter questions, uh, Ryan Cox said, I don't understand why people consider Darvish a prospect, uh, but he's number four on Baseball America's Top 100. I think it, I, I already answered him. It's pretty easy. Uh, he's technically a rookie by Major League Baseball's rules, and therefore... Uh, except for service time, we follow those rules for prospect eligibility, so it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, obviously, he's a little bit different uh, as a prospect, but um, I thought it was pretty uh, pretty telling that he ranks fourth, Jim. We obviously expect big things from you, Darvish. He was a little bit easier to rank, though, than Yoenis Cespedes. Yeah, I mean, with, with both these guys, you know, and I think more of the Cubans and the Japanese major leaguers in particular, but I think with both groups of players, and I've taken heat for saying this on Twitter, I, those guys get so overhyped that I, I, I'm a little skeptical of them just from the standpoint of living up to their hype. You know, you know Dice K. Matsuzaka was, you know, and, I, and you know, I thought he would be. We had him ranked number one on our list a few years ago. You know, was supposed to be, you know, this guy with eight plus pitches and you know the gyro ball and could do whatever he wanted. And he had a couple of years and then he tailed off. And, and he and he wasn't, you know, 
Dar- he wasn't the superstar he was supposed to be. You know, Darvish is supposed to be better than Matt Suzaka. Um, and I think he is, you know, it sounds like, you know, but you know, you're hearing the same types of things, you know, the guy's got like 10 plus pitches and, you know, I, I almost expect you Darvish to throw with both hands or maybe even have like a third arm and, <laughs> and throw with that arm too. But, you know, you know so, so the hype on these guys is crazy. You know, Yoetis Cespedes has, you know, the, the YouTube video and, you know, he, you know, he, you know, he's not a five tool player. He's like a 10 tool player and he can leg press 3000 pounds. And, right. You know, jump tall buildings. You know, it's, the hype on these guys is unimaginable. You know, but at the same time, I think even with that skepticism, you, you can't deny what these guys bring to the table. I, I do think if you didn't have these elite, elite prospects at the top of the list, Darvish would, would have been a number one in a lot of years. Um, and I think, you know, for the sake of comparison, uh, you know, after you get past those three, you know, the next guy behind Darvish is Julio Tehran. Well, to me, you know, Darvish has a longer track record. You know, Japan to me, the Japan's major leagues, I, I would place, you know, talking to other people as somewhere between AAA and the and the U.S. major leagues. So I think Darvish has proven himself at a higher level. It's, it's, like between, it's between um, AAA and, and the National League. <laughs> That's where it is. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, you know, it, so, I mean, that one to me was kind of easy. I mean, I, we, we talked about this. I I'd even, I think, had asked VA questions. I knew we had the big three, and to me, even with my skepticism in the back of my mind. I knew Darvish would be my number four, and I think most of us had a number four on our list. Correct. You know, so Spedis is tougher because you know, with the Cuban players, I mean, it has a, I mean, you just look at the last guy who was hyped anywhere close to this, Aroldis Chapman. Well, here we right. are, two years into Aroldis Chapman's major league career. Looks to me like Aroldis Chapman isn't going to be more than relief pitcher. Um, isn't probably, you know, going to be worth that contract they gave him. Or, or that huge signing bonus. I mean, he's a good player. He's interesting, but he's still unpolished. And with Cespedes, you know, we, we saw a very limited taste to him in the Dominican Winter League playoffs. And, and you know, you're not going to read too much into 30 or 40 at-bats, but he looked a little overmatched. Some guys are wondering, you know, at least the scouts I've talked to, you know, very interesting guy, but, you know, he's got these raw tools, but how polished are they? Are they? How quick are they going to play? And again, you still can't get past the t- Cool. So even though you have these questions about him, you know he winds up being number fourteen on our list. I mean, I, I think you know your Darvish to me was a pretty clear answer for me. Suspetus, if we wanted to be really aggressive, we probably could have ranked him as high as, as seventh on our list. And if we wanted to be ultra conservative, you know we could have ranked him maybe as low as twenty five on the list, and we kind of split the difference. Yeah, I think I, I think that we I think that's a pretty fair ranking where we put him. I mean, we put him behind a guy who. Uh, reached double A last year in Tyler Skaggs, who's left-handed, who's six years younger, and who was fourth in the minor league in strikeouts. I mean, we put him behind a guy who's no slouch. He's two spots behind Garrett Cole, number one over pick, overall pick in last year's draft, a guy who you know, sits 96-98 with his fastball. You know, he, we have him behind Manny Machado, a teenage shortstop with power. I mean, we, we put him behind some pretty stout dudes. So uh, I like I, I liked our placement of Suspedes. I think he was... I agree with you. I think he's very difficult to rank, and I'll say this again. I mean, the adjustments for all Latin American players are very difficult. Uh, I think any, I don't think any of us can really appreciate what some of those guys go through. And I think it's even more difficult for Cuban players and the track record of those Cuban guys, for better or for worse, with the exception of oldest, of oldest Chapman, most of them have come to the United States and gotten a lot bigger than what they were in Cuba, whether it's Kendris Morales, Jose Contreras, uh, Alexi Ramirez, I guess, is another exception, but that guy looks like he has the metabolism of the planet Mercury, he's very fast, and uh, very fast metabolism. Mercury, if you don't know, the closest planet, goes around the sun real fast. 
obviously I've been hanging out with my seven-year-old son too much. Um, but the point is, <laughs> those guys are the exceptions. Most of these Cuban guys come to the United States and they just get bigger uh, because they have food. And that's, it's a big difference. The diet and the money are big adjustments for any young person to make. And I think you, you throw in the depravity of the Cuban economy. I think it's I think it's a factor. So I'm I'm really interested in Suspedes, Jim. You and I have not talked about this, but I think Oakland is a good landing place for him, just because the pressure will be a lot lower for him to immediately be successful in Oakland. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I do think there's pressure in the standpoint that he's already. I, I want to say I think he's got the highest salary of anybody on their current roster. Oh, sure. Yeah, they, they do have a lower payroll, um, and and so I think. You know, and I think there's going to be some disappointment locally if he doesn't perform well, you know, pretty quickly. But at the same time, I mean, that's a depressed fan base. That's a team that's not expected to contend. It's not like if the Yankees went out and signed Yoenis Espetis and the New York Post would be ripping him on the back page, you know, three three weeks into his career. Or I, so I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I do think this is one of the better places for him to develop. Although. He probably could have picked a better ballpark to hit in. It's one of the least favorable ballparks. So I, I'm really not expecting. We haven't even talked about rookies yet. You know, we we have rookie rankings coming up uh, over the horizon of Baseball America. I'm not convinced this guy's going to come out and have a real big rookie year. Yeah, I think it's uh, it definitely remains to be seen. He'll be pretty high on my rookie list, but I, I just think the infusion of talent in the American League West this offseason, Jim is a story in and of itself. Mike Trout will graduate and be a full-time big leaguer. You Darvish, that's numbers three and four. Uh, number six, Jesus Montero gets traded from the Yankees into the Mariners. He's our number six prospect. Uh, and then you look down at Suspedes, number 14. So all four American League West, current members of the American League West, are represented. All, the, all four of those guys are going to be rookies this year in the big leagues, and that's a lot of impact talent. If you like young big leaguers, that is as good of a division as any to follow. It's the Baseball America podcast with Jean and Jim uh, talking a little bit about uh, our top 100 prospects. Jim, let's take a couple of Twitter hey, John, questions. Just real quick, I wanted to follow up on that last point, too. Okay, I mean, it even goes beyond that because you have Danny Holson who might be up this year for the Mariners. Oh, yeah. You've got the guys who came over in the A's trades, Jared Parker, Brad Peacock, I think, are, are going to be in the A's rotation for most of the season. Uh, you know, Martin Perez could surface in Texas at some point during the season. Wouldn't I wouldn't even Derek rule North out got to the big leagues with the A's this year too. Yep, I wouldn't even rule out. I don't think he'll he'll come up till late in the year. But Jerkson Profar, if that guy keeps developing like he has the last two years, they may have room for him in their outfield. Don't forget you know, Leonis Martin. They obviously, have Elvis Andrews. It's short. Yeah, yeah Leonis Martin. Further down the list, I mean, uh, Mike Gold shifted over to first base. Uh, the spring he's shifting from James Paxton could be another guy who gets called up. I mean, oh, yeah. that, that division we we could almost do top twenty potential rookies in the AL West and fill out a whole list. Oh, there's no doubt the the American League West. Uh, well, you have the number one organization in Texas uh, as the snapshot right now. Um, then I'd say you know the, the Mariners have this very very stout top four or five with their pitching trio of Tawan Walker. And the two lefties you mentioned, Danny Holton and James Paxton, plus Jesus Montero. And then I, I like Nick Franklin, uh, switch hitting, power hitting middle infielder. And I know there's some questions about how legitimate the power is, but sign me up for Nick Franklin. Uh, I saw, you know, I, I know I shouldn't go by my eyes, but it's that home run he hit the left center field off Garrett Cole in the Rising Stars game in the Arizona Fall League. It was just such easy power. Um, sign me up for Nick Franklin. And then, uh, 
you know, the, the angel system doesn't have great depth, but it certainly is stout at the top with Trout. And then the A's went from a horrible system, uh, you know, with a lot of older guys to a system with a lot of vibrant talent, uh, because of the trades they made this offseason. And then you add Suspede as, as the cherry kind of on top. Uh, let's take a couple of these Twitter questions, Jim, and there are a lot of them at Baseball America. Remember, go follow us. We're close to 50,000 followers. So, um, you know, we'd, we'd love to have uh, more of you. What makes Dylan Bundy 14 spots better than Archie Bradley? That's from Jordan Mendelblatt. Jim, my answer would be not a whole lot. Uh, that was a tough one. And Archie Bradley, I think we talked about this in the meeting, he was one of the toughest guys for us to rank. Um, it's actually, I guess, it's 15 spots. Bradley is 10. and uh, I mean, Bradley's at 25 and, and Bundy's at 10. But uh, Archie Bradley is pretty – he just sounds – he almost sounds too good to be true. Uh, he's a pretty great prospect to have at number 25 on a top 100. Yeah, I mean, I think there's not much difference between stuff. You know, Bradley's bigger. I think the difference is polish, consistency, command. Not that, that Bradley's this, you know, Colt Griffin guy, you know, can't hit the broad side of a barn or anything. But I, I just think Bundy is that much more polished. And I think... If you look at our rankings, I think it would reflect what we heard from a lot of people in baseball over the last year. And, and even when I was doing the, the Trout, more Harper thing, John, Dylan Bundy worked his way into a conversation. I had a, a personnel guy say, don't be surprised. You know, that guy might make it to the big leagues a lot quicker than anybody realizes. Um, and he was saying it wouldn't shock him. if you know, Basically, he thought Bundy would be prepared enough to pitch in the big leagues by the end of the season, perhaps. But um, I think the difference is, is we have Bundy kind of grouped with the college picks from last year's draft because even though he came out of high school he was really considered this polished college type pitcher even though he'd only come out of high school and 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 i know royals fans i i continue to argue with them the yeah. royals really wanted a polished pitcher in last year's draft you know not that they weren't thrilled to get bubba starling and his potential but i but i i know for facts i've been told this by the royals that if any of the pitchers who went ahead of them had been there number five, and that includes Dylan Bundy, even though he's a high school guy, they considered him that polished, they would have taken him because of their need for pitching. And so I think that's the difference is just the polish, and that Bundy, we're kind of treating him more as a college pick out of last year's draft, and Bradley, you know, and he's right behind Bubba Starling, you know, he's grouped with the, you know, those are the top two high school picks from last year's draft. Got a couple other questions on, on Twitter that are worth taking. Uh, War Eagle A.U. Mitty, so obviously an Auburn fan, asks, how close were Juris Familia and Grant Green to uh, breaking into the top 100? Uh, Jim, I don't have my spreadsheet with me, but I know both those guys got considerable votes for the top 100. They were both like in that 101 to 125 range, weren't they? Well, fam- well uh, Green was, Familia wasn't. Familia, we had eight people, people wonder how we did this. We had eight people do a preliminary top 150, and then we mashed them together in a spreadsheet, and then and in such, uh, discussions ensue. One person had Juris Familia in the top 100, and he actually he got three 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 votes for the top 150. So he okay. wasn't particularly close. I'd okay. say if we were doing this as a straight ranking all the way down, he would have been about 150, 160. Okay. You know, Grant Green was in that mix of guys who, who just missed. Um, two of us had him. I, I had him in my top 100. Um, two, two of the eight people had him in their top 100. Two more had him just missing, and seven of the eight had him in the top 150. So he was close. I, I, I think with the, I think the difference with him making it or not making it is, and even though I put him in my top 100, I share this. Sketch- 
athleticism. Is he really going to stay in center field? I, I don't know if I really think he runs well enough to be a center fielder. I, I see him as more of a third baseman, really, than, than a center fielder. I, I think that would be where he would profile best when you look at everything. You know, I don't think he's a, a shortstop at the major league level. And I, I think you know, if he had proven he could play center field or, or more people believed he could play center field, he probably makes the top 100. I agree with you. I, I think I'd like to see him be more on the dirt, and I, I really question the power. Uh, I really like Grant Green. He hit for a lot of power in his first pro season, but it was in the Cal League. Um, so the Thomas Neal corollary, as I'm going to start calling it, I'm going to have a little skepticism about guys who who have the the only power, their only home run power really shows up in the, in the Cal League. And Grant Green did not hit for home run power in Double A last year. So um, I know it's Midland. I know that the A's have talked to us about the fact that Sacramento and Midland are not big home run parks that are in leagues that are perceived as offensive home run leagues. Um, but to me, Grant Green is more of a you know 15 to 20 home run guy max. Uh, so I like him as like a Joe Randa type third baseman. I hate to always throw out Joe Randa there, but I like him more as a solid to maybe a slightly above average offensive third baseman. I don't think he's got corner outfield power. Uh, he's a little bit of a tweener for me in a lot of ways. Uh, I like him personally. All my interactions with Grant Green have been great. I think he's going to be a good big leaguer, but I don't think he's going to be a star. Um, take a couple other Twitter questions. Uh, Joey Alfieri wanted to know, he knows Jim likes uh, Rendon over Tawan Walker. Who would the rest of you prefer building around? Well, obviously our consensus was uh, Anthony Rendon over Tawan Walker, but they're right next to each other at 1920. Uh, Jim, it seems like really the only question any of us have about Anthony Rendon is the arm. That's the only issue I have is will he be healthy? Uh, Two years ago, I was not all the way there with you on Rendon greater than Harper. I thought I, 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 I thought then, and I think even now, that I think you undersell Bryce Harper's hitting ability a little bit. I think the effort in his game is not there because he's, I mean, he emulates Pete Rose. I mean, he, you know, that's his favorite all-time player, so that's why his game has, I'm, I'm surprised that his effort is seen as a negative. I understand why it is, but I'm surprised by it because I think he's shown that he can, he, he does make the no one makes the park look small like that guy. We talked about Harper, but to me, Rendon, yeah, I don't think anybody, John. Just I don't think people necessarily see it as a negative. They just think that because of his effort and you know, one guy make a comment that you know he tries to hit every ball 450, right. and that if he doesn't tone that down, he's not going to hit for high average. And again, it's nitpicking. You're talking about great right. players. You start really picking, you know, looking looking at them under the fine microscope. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't think he's going to be. But I've, I've never quite thought that Rendon's bat was going to be as impactful as Harper's. I think he's a pure, more of a pure hitter. But I don't think he has Bryce Harper. I think he's more of like a 60 power. I don't think he's anywhere close to an 80 power. He might be a 70 hit, a 60 power. Uh, but I love Anthony Rendon, and I, you know, once he proves Anthony Rendon is the guy who's to me, he could be number one on this list next year if he just goes to high A and double A. Stays healthy, shows you can play third base or second base, and rakes the way I think Anthony Rendon could rake. He could be number one on this list next year, Jim. I, I think I feel that strongly about Anthony Rendon. I just want to see him healthy and playing a defensive position in 2012. But Tawan Walker could very well be the number one pitcher on this list uh, next year. I'm looking at the pitchers ahead of him. Most of those guys are probably going to graduate to the big leagues this year. Uh, those two guys at 1920 are both guys I built my franchise around. No, I, I totally agree. And again, you know, it's just a matter of preference. You know, we had eight people vote on this. Five people liked Rendon more than Walker. Three people liked Walker more than Rendon. 
Um, I think uh, you know one person had them back to back, and most most of us had them very very close together. Uh, I'll, I'll rip JJ in his absence. JJ, no, had I'm back. Donut number here, you get list. <laughs> Way too low. Way too low. So anyway, Rendon wouldn't be next to Walker. But I agree. And you know, for all all reports are he's healthy. They're going to play him even at shortstop some, I guess, this spring and early in the season, uh, which I think tells you, you know, you wouldn't be doing that if if the guy's arm wasn't healthy. Um, I think, you know, I'll go out on the limb. I think Anthony Rendon's got a great chance to be our minor league player of the year this year. And and I'll make uh, I, I think Anthony Rendon could end up being one of the best players on this list. But my concern, and I've had, and I've said this now, spring training's here now, so the good news is we're actually going to get to see him hopefully play. My concern was is that he was supposed to be fine, and it went, oh, he's going to go to Arizona Fall League, and it kept getting pushed back, and it kept getting pushed back, and then he never did go to the Arizona Fall League. I, to me, there is, I always have some concerns when guys who are supposed to be fine, the the, the window of when they're going to be healthy keeps getting pushed back, and. Again, I, I'm yeah, I'm the skeptic on this, just from the standpoint of I want to see him healthy, kind of what John said. I want to see him healthy and playing a position for multiple months because you can call all the injuries that he's had fluky. Uh, under, undoubtedly, you can. At the same time, he's had a series of injuries, and some of these, some of these have the potential to be nagging injuries. The shoulder is a problem that could, if it kind of lingers continue to affect him and that's that's really the only knock that there is on anthony rendon right now but but that to me that's the reason i i yes i'm being the skeptic on him but i'm being the skeptic because i just i'll be much higher on him in the mid-season top 50 if he's been playing a, a full couple of months at that point and been healthy it's a baseball america podcast with john Manuel, jj cooper and jim callis uh, Jim, let's go to a couple of, uh, I guess I always like to call it personal cheese balls. Um, who's like, uh, I don't know if there was a guy in the list that you maybe had, uh, that maybe you feel like, uh, is a little bit lower than you, than you, than he was maybe on your personal list or who you think is not necessarily maybe lower, but maybe who's your pick to click, uh, you know, lower in our top 100, who you think is going to really break into the top in, after the 2012 season. Uh, well, I'll go with Anthony Rendon. Just joking. Uh, I had him <laughs> number nine on my that list. That is your guy, though. I'd save my top. You know, guys who were in my top fifty. I, I think the one guy who, who I felt like got undersold a little bit was Jake Marisnik. Um, I actually like him better, you know, than fellow Blue Jays outfielder Anthony Ghost because I think he's got a much better field to hit, and I think his tools are are. You know, I think Andy Ghost is a little bit better raw tools, but I think Marisnik's are comparable. I think he's got better feel to hit. So he he was a guy I like. In terms of guys who wound up not making the list, I know where you're going. You know, probably my, my number one guy was Alex Meyer, I guess, of the Nationals. Who that's not where I thought you were going. You know, it's at all. interesting. You didn't think I was going there? Okay, no, um, I thought you were going. Matt well, yeah, it's Barnes. funny because you know, I've always. Uh, what's that? I thought you were going to say Matt Barnes. Well, I didn't have him ranked as high, but you do bring up Matt Barnes, who I did. Uh, I did bitterly complain about a little bit uh, when we were doing this, and you know, it's it's hard to get every, all your different rankings to line up. And my point was that we have Sonny Gray of the A's is on here at number I think sixty five on our top one hundred. We've had Matt Barnes and Sonny Gray neck and neck through college with our draft rankings. And I think they're very comparable. They went back to back in the draft, and Sonny Gray's at 65, and Matt Barnes didn't make it. Um, but I, I do think, in terms of the guy who I think was my highest rated player who didn't make it, that would be Alex Meyer. I like Alex Meyer, but I've always liked Matt Barnes a little better. So I'm surprised that you had Meyer 
ahead of Barnes. Uh, you know, to me, the, I'll, I'll be fascinated to see. There's actually two guys in the 90s, high school pitchers from last year's draft, J.J. I'll be really interested to watch, and that's Taylor Guerrero and Daniel Norris. Stuff-wise, Taylor Guerrero is closer to Dylan Bundy and R.G. Bradley than he is in these rankings as far as 10 and 25. You know, he's 90. His stuff is not at their level in terms of consistency, but he flashed comparable fastball, comparable breaking ball. I mean, he it wasn't a consensus, but there were some cross-checkers last year in the draft. Jim, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, who thought that he was – there were a lot of cross-checkers and scouting directors who thought that, they were, that there were times where they saw him and he had the third best stuff of the, in the high school class after only uh, Bundy and Bradley. So I think he's in exactly the right organization for him. The Rays will take it slow. I don't see him leaping up for the 2013 top 100. I do see him doing that in 2014. Um, and then I, I also, Daniel Norris, I, I just think uh, Daniel Norris, again, the, the Blue Jays have such depth, they could bring him along slowly. But I like physical left-handers. Again, the consistency was the issue with both those guys. They flashed it. I'll be fascinated to watch, uh, but I expect both those guys to really take some quantum leaps up this list. It might not be for 2013, but I look for both these guys to be top 20 prospects in 2014. The, the two guys for me that jump out is uh, at the back end of the list is uh, Jonathan Scope at uh, 82 and Chesler Cuthbert, who I believe is at 84, two guys who are, are pretty close together. Scope there. is kind of fascinating. I, I think that Scope, because he's kind of teamed up with Manny Machado, I, I think that the, that he actually defensively, one of the things that's a kind of a hurdle for him is figuring out where he's going to play, but that's not because he can't handle positions. It's because, well, he could probably stick at shortstop at least for a little while, but you've got Machado, so you're not going to. And then if it wasn't for that, then, okay, the question becomes, does he become a second baseman or a third baseman? And I've had scouts tell me kind of both sides of that. There's some guys say, I'd re- I think he could be an all-star third baseman. I've had other people say, hey, let's just go, you know, second base with him and and leave it let him kind of settle in there where he could be an impact middle up up the middle guy. Cuthbert, I know that 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 uh that Jim and I have had a, a disagreement on this. I think that that for Cuthbert, I think he's going to stick at third base long term. I think he's going to be an impact bat. I know that Jim has had talked to some scouts who think differently, think he does, he's going to a little too thick to to stick at the position long term, but but that's to me. I think Cuthbert's going to be a third baseman. I think he's a better third baseman than Mustakis. I know Mustakis plays short in the Midwest League. Cuthbert played third, but I think Cuthbert has a much better chance of sticking at third base long term than Mustakis does, maybe even. And then I think he's going to be impact bat. So those are the two guys I wouldn't be surprised to see kind of move move up uh, significantly next year. I'm I'm a fan of uh, of both those players. Scope is the one who like I I think I almost think I believe more in Cuthbert. Uh, Scope. I just want to see. Um, you know, where he settles in position-wise, his profile is a little bit tougher to read without knowing uh, to me, where I, he profiles. To me, I put him at second base. To yeah. me, if if you're the Orioles, not that the Orioles don't have a, pl- a plethora of needs, but if you're the Orioles, to me, I put him at second base. I put Machado at short. I let those two guys work together and let them just move up and and be your middle in the middle infield by 2000, late 2013 at least. Yeah, and, and one, one thing that also jumped out to me a little bit here, guys, is that we were talking about the top 100 uh, you know, by organization. We break it down by the numbers. Um, th- th- not a surprise to me that we have the Rangers with six, the Padres with six. You know, I think we, we know the Rangers are deep and have impact talent. 
the Padres, I think we know they're one of the deepest farm systems in the game. Um, the Cardinals, again, a, a pretty solid, deep system. It's still a little bit of a surprise that they're at six. Right, but especially because the thing that jumps out with them is it's more of kind of the imp- – they have some imp- potential impact guys in that six. Yeah, they really do. Well, obviously, Shelby Miller's in our top ten. I think Carlos – That's Mar- another guy uh, – by the way, another guy who could really move up. Now, he's he's a bat guy. I mean, it's limited to the bat more than anything, but Oscar Tavares – Right. Uh, he had a very he had a great year in the Midwest League this year. If he follows that up by doing it again in the FSL, and the big question is, did he have a great year or did he have a great two months? Jim? That's the that, question. That, yeah. That's where Jim would go, right? Well, I wouldn't say two months. I mean, he, but he, he didn't play a full season. He was hurt. They're also, I mean, and again, I mean, we talk about makeup. It gives me a little bit of doubt when you see the guy getting benched in the playoffs for for lack of effort and getting benched during the season for lack of effort. So he's a very interesting guy. I still think you know for a guy who hit 380, he still has you know maybe more to prove than the typical guy who hit 380 in low class A. I'd like to see him over a full season this year, uh, you know, at a higher level and see if that those effort questions go away. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, but I, I do like the Cardinals. Uh, I think it's surprising. The A's with six, you know, again, it's Suspedes and the trade guy, so it's not a big of a surprise. I guess to me, the Cardinals are the biggest surprise there, Jim. Uh, I just don't think of them as a six top 100. I've always thought of them as more of a depth organization under the Jeff Luno scouting administration regime, however you want to put it. But it seems like they're far, he left their farm system in about as good a shape as uh, he possibly could have. He did, you know, and I think the reason they have the six is they've been aggressive. I mean, they spent, they went over slot to get Shelby Miller, who slid in the draft because of his asking price. They spent a lot of money on Carlos Martinez. Um, you know, they spent, you know, went over slot, gave a big league contract to Zach Cox. Um, you know, and, you know, and you look at the other guys on this list, you know, Tavares, you know, Luna now helped re, you know, reinvigorate their, their international program, which had really fallen by the wayside. And then they have a couple of premium draft picks in Colton Wong and Terrell Jenkins. And I mean, Lance Lynn, you know, we, we argued about him some too. I mean, Lance Lynn was very close to making this list also. Maybe not, not as high a ceiling as some of these other guys, but, you know, not very much left to prove. In the big leagues at all. I mean, I think he's about as guaranteed a job in the big leagues as much as anybody who's on this list. You know, playoff hero for the Cardinals. Um, you know, they very well could have had seven. We've also got. Uh, you know, it's not. I don't think we planned it out this way, and it's harder for us to do in the organization top thirties in the prospect handbook, where we kind of have like a. Usually, you put like a, a take a flyer guy at number thirty. I know I kind of do that usually in my top fifty in the book. Um, but we, I, I do think we always try to put a whole bit higher upside. Guy at number one hundred, and we kind of did that this year with Christian Villanueva. Which we let, let's give a little. There's a little little insight uh, here. There's a little. It's an interesting background because our initial top one hundred, uh, number one hundred. Should, should I reveal his name? Yes. Tommy Joseph of the Giants organization initially was our number one hundred. Sorry, Tommy, you were you were oh so close. And then Yoenis Espinosa decided to sign before we went to press with the top one hundred uh, with with the Oakland A's. And uh, so to put in Suspedes, I like saying his name both ways, obviously, because I keep going back and forth. But when he was added to the list, that bumped everyone behind him down a, a notch. So Christian Villanueva went from number 99 to number 100. But he almost feels 100. like a more number 100, J.J., yeah. He's a guy who, another one of those guys who a year from now we could be going, wow, this guy really rocketed up the list because he has that potential. Yeah, and uh, he's a high-ceiling guy, and uh, honestly – uh, he just seemed. I almost felt like it was made more sense also to have a ranger <laughs> at number one hundred. They're the ultimate high risk, high reward 
font system right now. Uh, but I, I thought he was a perfect well, number one hundred. Let's go. Yeah, let's give this. This is the essentially the DVD uh, commentary part here. Sure. Beyond Joseph, there were several other guys that we did talk about. I'm trying to remember. So Alex Meyer was at least brought up as another one of the just missed. Let's help me here a little bit. I'm, I'm trying to remember a couple of the other guys that we talked about as far as the, the just missed. Well, Jonathan Villar was in that conversation. I think what happened with Jonathan, Jonathan Villar, the shortstop of the Astros, I did our Astros rankings. Um, I, I kind of was the one who started our grades stuff. But I didn't exactly hone them. Um, I just came up with the crazy ideas. Um, but I think I was high on his grade. Uh, either, if he was going to be a 65, he should have been a 65 extreme. I think he's a 65 high. Uh, he probably should have been a 60 high. I think his grade being that high uh, prompted a few people on the staff to rank him a little bit higher. So he was initially on the top 100, and, I, and then we started off the meeting, and I kind of advocated for pulling him out of the top 100. I think that kind of made it easy for the guy who ranked him and has been ca- like captain of the Jonathan Villar fan club uh, to, to, to remove him from the top no 100. If Villar in the top 100, it was going to be hard for someone to make a case for Villar in the top and 100. I still, I mean, I love Jonathan Villar, but this, we, he needs to show more with the bat than 153 strikeouts, you know. Well, thanks again for Jim Callis joining us. Uh, John Manuel and J.J. Cooper are going to stick with the podcast with the extra DVD extras, uh, as you said, J.J. Um, one of the, uh, we were just talking about Jonathan, Jonathan Villar was a guy who, who narrowly missed. Um, I think we had, I know Chris Owings is a Diamondbacks prospect that I, maybe I'm a little bit higher on. It was a guy who just missed. Who were some other guys that maybe you thought, maybe who were on your personal top 100 who didn't quite make the cut? Uh, we were debating uh, closures at the end of it. Right. We, we got, uh, the, the guy who jumped out was, is I'm trying to remember, who was it? We were talking about setup men versus closers. At the very end of our meeting, yeah, when you're talking, when you're discussing, because Kelvin Herrera was a guy who was a close, we who almost made it. And the argument is, is I don't think we've ever put a setup man, a guy we projected as a setup man, right? On the Kelvin Herrera was one that jumped out because Will Lingo had him so high on his personal top fifty, and then he came into the meeting and was like, you know, I was probably a little overheated on Kelvin Herrera. It's the Alberto Cayaspo rule. Will gets overheated about one player. Every year in his top 50, usually a Texas leaguer, because Will does the Texas league and runs them up the list. So Kayaspo was one that he famously did, and Kayaspo's had a nice, a nice big league career. I think Kelvin Herrera is going to have a nice big league career. I don't think it would have been bad if he'd been on the top 100. But I'm trying. Who was the? I'm trying to remember. There was a setup guy. Oh, it was Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn was the divisive player. That was a divi- That was a very divisive player because there was some arguments to have Lance Lynn on the top 100. The argument being. Solid stuff. He's done it in playoff pressure already. He's one of our very few safes in the whole book on the grade risk factor scale. And then there's people like me arguing no. And the argument being, okay, he's not doesn't look like he's going to end up moving back to the rotation anytime soon with the Cardinals. He's not, and they don't view him as a closer. And to me, a setup man, the impact of a setup man is just. I'm, I'll put it this way: if you give me a choice of Christian Villanueva or a Lance solid Lynn. setup man. Maybe I'm going too risky, but I'm going to take the high ceiling guy who could be a dip, an impact player. And the funny thing is, I actually had this exact conversation with John Mozalock of the uh, general manager of the uh, Cardinals, obviously the World Series champion Cardinals. So he clearly knows a lot of, about what he's doing. But we had this conversation at the winter meetings when we were presenting him with our organization of the year award, uh, and it was directly number 94, Tyrell Jenkins versus. Uh, Lance Lynn, and he was like, how on earth can you rank Tyrell Jenkins ahead of Lance Lynn? And that was his quote. Like He said it to me, and he had some strength in his conviction, JJ. He was like, how can you do this? Tyrell Jenkins is in the Appy League, and I think he may have dropped in another word in between. He was like, Tyrell Jenkins is in the Appy League. 
He probably didn't. John Mosley likes a little bit more culture than I am. And Lance Lynn, he said, was throwing 96 miles an hour, under pressure, setting up Game 7 of the World Series. And uh, I didn't have a great answer for him other than oh, uh, other than that's Lance Lynn. That might, that might be the peak of Lance Lynn's career. And that's a good peak. That might be what he is for five years. But Tyrell Jenkins has a chance to be... A Truly special, and I think if you a took front end rotation starter, I, and I think and of the thirty organizations. If you, there was a draft of players, and all, if you just stopped them, I think that Tyrell Jenkins would go in that draft before Lance Lynn would go. I'll put it this way: I think right now it depends on it depends on the organization and what their scouting reports say about Jenkins. Yeah, but if you're making a trade with the Cardinals, and they said, "Okay, the guy you can have is Lance Lynn or Tyrell Jenkins." I think the majority of clubs would take Tyrell Jenkins. I, I, I know it's not all, and nothing is absolute like Jim talks about. Um, but for me, I, I really do think uh, that more likely yeah, he's to take Tyrell Jenkins because of that upside. But again, and those, hey, those were two that were right side by side. They're not far. This is the thing we, you know, we make the point. Right now, there are no wrong answers. Right. On you you want to argue Lance Lynn. Now, the great thing about it is, is down the road, there will be a right answer. That's right. Down the road, the answer will evince itself. I mean, Chris Archer is an example of this. Chris Archer might wind up as a setup man. He might wind up Lance Lynn. And he's flashed that potential in 2010 where he looked like a frontline starter. I think it's going to be a little tough in the organization he is to get that opportunity anytime soon. And I, yeah. think, and I think it's more likely, J.J., that he's going to wind up in the bullpen. I just think he's going to wind up a closer. Not a setup man. That slider. I, I mean, this guy could be Brad Lidge. In my mind, that's kind of who I think of Chris Archer. He reminds me of because his slider is so devastating. Um, and he relies on it so much, kind of like Brad Lidge. And when he wants to, he's got 96. Brad Lidge, when he wanted to, when he was younger, had 98, 100. Uh, making the cross-racial comp right now. But I'm, con- I'm following a Brad Lidge on Chris Archer. Um, but that, that that's why, for me, he still deserved to be in the top 100. Even though the breadth of his track record is... That 2010 was the fluke, not the real Chris Archer. I think the real Chris Archer has been the guy who really struggles to command the strike zone. I, I, I'm rooting for Chris Archer personally, but I think his best case scenario really is as a lockdown closer. But closer still, I mean, hard to have a top, a top 100 guy be a setup guy like Lance Lynn. And one of the things I did want to touch on before we wrap this up, kind of wrapping a bow on it, bringing it back around to the front of the top three. We did a, a feature in this about the, mm-hmm. about looking back at, about this. at, at uh, past trios where you had three top prospects who stood out. Because three is a magic number. And, and the, the, the thing that jumps out is, is that we've looked back uh, at, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different trios like this. Yeah. You looked at all 22. Right. Top but 100. But some there's, years there's not. Some years, like the Matt, Wieters, the Matt Wieters David Price year was a Matt Wieters David Price debate. Right. There wasn't. And there even was no question it was going to be one of those two. And like Jim talked about earlier in the podcast, 2007 we had Dice K. It was Dice K. I think Alex Gordon, Delman Young. It wasn't quite this. It was tough. That was there was there was, there was, uh, there was not a lot but, of separation between this, number but, one and like number ten. Right, Longoria was number seven, something like that. Yeah, on that list. We, we talked about that in the last podcast. Right, and there wasn't a much. There was a debate at the. Point I mean, Lincecum was eleven. I mean, and he had been our number two there draft wasn't a lot guy. Of separate, like I'll put it this way: like 1997, we had Andrew Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, Kerry Wood. You could have made a case for Kerry Wood, considering his stuff, as number one. That was you the, could have. And so we look back at that. And the thing that jumps out is, is that when you talk about at the top end of the list, if you have three guys, usually two of them are going to be studs. Third one, eh, it may not go over this so well. 
Yeah, I mean, like, and some of, like, like Delman Young has been the worst of the 2005 trio between Maurer, Felix, and Delman Young. And Delman, he's been the worst by a good, <laughs> by a chasm. Yeah, it has been, but he's still on a bad career. He's not terrible he does, He's an average offensive player and a below-average defensive player. I mean, that's not good, but he is gonna be, he's going to be a big right. lead for 10 more years. To give you examples, like, 1995 he, is the one that jumps out. Like, 1995, we... We were we I just, we we were neither of us were JJ uh, and I were covering the South Atlantic League back then. Yes, we were we were covering Andrew Jones. We were, but um, in 1995, going into the 95 season, came this close to being the best one two three that Baseball America would ever put out. Right, and it's not going to get top. That's right. Which was number one was Alex Rodriguez, number three was Chipper Jones, and number four was Derek Jeter. If you took number two Ruben Rivera and just yeah. took him out and moved those other two up. If you went A-Rod, Chipper, Jeter. i got to be honest with you. I think this year's trio is very comparable to that trio. I think, I think Bryce Harper is going to be the Alex Rodriguez of the next era. The superstar who's a 35 to 45 home run guy every year and is the best player in the game every year and is unlikable. And if he winds up dating Tori Wilson, well, I guess more power to Bryce Harper. But the point is, I think he's going to be the next A-Rod. And it wouldn't shock me if Mike Trout is the next Derek Jeter, a guy who's the all-American boy, the the guy that you hold up, um, and who buys the the gift baskets the next day. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if my, Matt Moore is the Chipper Jones. Say, I'm, I'm not going to stop there. making girlfriend comparisons yeah. who leaves his wife for the Hooters girl. I should. I just did that. I just went there. That just happened. But 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 I, I do think Matt Moore. Matt Moore could be epic. I mean, he really oh. could. All three of these guys, could, it wouldn't shock me, J.J., if but, all three of our top guys are Hall of Famers down the, the line. The, I know that's hyperbolic, but it would not shock me. The, the point I'm making is, is like, yeah. Because like, all three of those are Hall of Famers, obviously. Yeah. A-Rod, Chipper, and Jeter. Ruben Rivera. Can, Mexican League Hall of Fame. Again, or <laughs> maybe, or if they said, you know, great gaffes in, in baseball history, they had a little display. It could be like, you know, Ruben Rivera, you know. With Jeter's glove. Of, yeah, with Jeter's glove. <laughs> but, or 1993, Chipper won. Brian Taylor two, Cliff Floyd three. Cliff Floyd's not a Hall of Famer. Cliff Floyd, very good, long term career. Yeah, and and uh, kind of a what might have been player. He never quite could stay healthy. But but the point I'm, I'm making is is that now okay, so I'll throw this this question out to you. If you said one of these three is going to bust, which one would you say? Which one do you say has the highest risk of being a bust? I guess I'll say Matt Moore, just because a year and a half ago Matt Moore was struggling to find the plate in the Florida State League. And uh, I believe in Matt Moore's current command. But a year and a half ago, he was a guy who had three-plus pitches. Well, he had two-plus-plus pitches in terms of their action and their velocity and all those kind of things, but he had minus command. And uh, we've seen that happen with all kinds of pitchers where they just lose it. So he's the most likely to bust, not because of injury necessarily. I like his delivery. I think he's clean. I think he gets out front great, uh, you know, there's nothing to dislike in the delivery. Since he made the adjustments with Neil Allen, who was his pitching coach at high A, with the hip turn opening up to the plate, getting better extension out front, his stuff has improved and his command has you know, gone up from a 20 to like a 50 big league command. But he's he has the biggest bust potential just because of that track record where he had a hard time finding the strikes. And for me, the other two, the position players are sure things. And, and, and let's just be honest, the pitchers, there always is a higher injury risk because the worst that like if Bryce Harper tears an ACL, yeah, like Chipper Jones did, right? It means okay, he misses a year, right? But when you come back, it there's it's hard. There are not many injuries. Cliff Floyd, we brought Cliff Floyd. 
Cliff Floyd came about the closest you can have to a yeah, career-ending catastrophic, catastrophic injury, destroyed his wrist, and he came back from that. I, guess I, pitcher, I, I guess I should throw in with Harper, by the way, that, that you know, there is the possibility that the makeup is such that he becomes a Delmon Young kind of guy. Delmon Young, I guess you have to consider him a bust just because he was getting compared to Albert he Bell. He was getting, I mean, considering and he's flashed it, he had the one year with a 125 ops plus. That should be every year, Delman Young. And that's not. Well, and, but the other thing is, is that, and with Delman, we talked about it before on the podcast, but we, the athleticism that you used to talk about. Yeah, he's lost his athlete. I and, mean, he's just not a. He, and with Bryce Harper, that the, plays the, every the, day. The, the concern you have, and look, I, I've, I think I've said it on the podcast here. Everything, when I've asked people about it, what he's coming back is, is yes, if you are on the other team, you do not like Bryce Harper. Right. I personally do not find that part objectionable at all. Because, Hence the A-Rod comp. Right. But beyond that, there are a whole lot of great players over the history of the game who were terrible if right. you were on the other team. Yeah, absolutely. They but just what disliked. I've not heard with Bryce Harper generally is he's a terrible teammate. Yeah. And that's the part. But. That being said, he is 19. The game has come extremely easy to him compared to basically everyone else. I mean, every almost pretty much everyone else in the game, if you compare him to Bryce Harper, the game has come easier to Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper was dominating junior college baseball at a time where most even great prospects are good, solid high school players. How about this quote from Jim's uh, sidebar from a director of uh, player personnel on an American League organization? I remember when our area scout first saw him, Harper was the best guy he saw all year, and he was a high school freshman. I mean, we've oh, heard that so we talked about, we talk about in, your, in your office one day. Yeah. Like, as an eighth grader, he was the best player in the state. Yeah, our number one player in the San Nevada was Nico Vasquez, and as an eighth grader, Bryce Harper dominated him in a personal workout for a club where Bryce Harper was supposed, was supposed to catch. The pitcher didn't show up, so Bryce Harper pitched. And what and was he, he off the mound? He was 96 off the mound as an eighth as grader. As an eighth grader. And he just dominated. He, he, so, kind of, he almost, I, I don't, I'm, I'm probably putting this a little too strongly, but he, uh, the scout, I remember used this word, he humiliated Nico Vasquez. Um, he hurt Nico Vasquez's chances of getting drafted by that organization because he showed so bad in the workout. And the area guy had to kind of rehabilitate him with his cross checker and be like, look, you understand Bryce Harper is, you know, he's, he's, a, he's an outlier. Right. You, you can't judge him by what you just saw. This is why. By him competing with an eighth right. grader. <laughs> <laughs> that's the mind-blowing thing about it. And, and that's what we're trying to get across here is it's like if you said, okay, how, how could this happen that he fails? Yes, he could hit the big leagues and – Hit, finally hit that point where it doesn't come easy yeah, right. or as easy, and he doesn't make the adjustments. I don't think either of us believe that's going to be the case because the reality of it is is that even in the worst-case scenario for Bryce Harper, right. the worst-case scenario, he's still going to be at – I don't see him becoming a Delmon Young-level right. detraction in the outfield. He's going to be an asset in the outfield. The worst-case scenario to me is that he's like a Carlos Quentin type, like a guy with maybe low batting averages – but he's still going to hit 25 to 35 home runs in an outfield corner. I mean, that's a worst-case scenario for me, but, for uh, Bryce it's hard. It's hard to see him not hitting homers. He yeah, may, exactly. I mean, if you want to say it's going to end poorly, maybe he has contact issues. Maybe worst case, he's Dave Kingman. You know? 
That's the, yeah, that's the, me, that's still the, hit 440 career home runs. Right. That's the worst case scenario, which is that he's still actually kind of a useful player. And the thing with Mike Trout is, is that I think we both agree it's really – I would put him as the safest of these three because for and one – of course, we got that wrong in the book, which is kind of funny. We had him as a low in the book. He was supposed to be a safe. But he, he's the safest of these three because, for one, his skills mean – I guess the worst-case scenario is he's the better Peter Borges. Yeah, that's that's comparable. That's a, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Because he's going to have – he's got that Borges speed. Let's say the power never comes, and I, by that I mean that he ends up being a 10 to 15 home run guy, which – to me, that's the worst case scenario for him is, right. is that he becomes, well, he could be a 10, 15 home run center fielder. The makeup by every estimation we've received is, right. is top he, of the line makeup. He likes playing too much. I mean, his, his, uh, his inability to ask out of the lineup prompted him to go to the fall league and wear himself out. You know, he should have probably taken that. Right. Fall league but, off. So let's say the worst case scenario is he ends up being a 270 homer, you know, 270 hitting. 330, 340 on base with some power kind 50 of. 50 stolen base guy. You know, or say 40, you know, 30 or 40. This is worst case scenario. He's going to be a useful player because he's already passed through all the hurdles. He's now, I mean, he's at the cusp, he's, he's at the big league level now. Yeah, he's. It, barring injury, which again, when, you know, barring a broken leg that saps his speed, it's just hard to see how he's not going to be a useful big leaguer. Absolutely, and uh, that's why those three guys are on our uh, cover of the magazine. If you pick up the hard copy, Bryce Harper, Matt Moore, Mike Trout. Uh, Nice-looking cover, cover of the magazine. Obviously, you can get the digital edition, and it's obviously all online now at BaseballAmerica.com. And, and we do want to say thank you to our uh, sponsor for the Top 100, Majestic. That's right. If you go on, if you're listening to this, if you haven't gone to the site, which I kind of imagine if you're listening to this, you probably have looked at the Top 100, but if you haven't, go on the site, BaseballAmerica.com. And it's all, all of our top 100 coverage that's on there today is sponsored by Majestic. You've probably also already heard this, but the news is breaking while we're on uh, recording this podcast that uh, Chris Carpenter is the compensation for Theo Epstein going from the Cubs to the Red Sox. Pretty interesting guy, JJ. Better, better prospect going over than I thought. Yeah, I think the Red Sox won that argument, uh, which is that uh, the past precedents for this, the prospects have been pretty good. And Chris Carpenter is a guy who I, he was he was 100 miles an hour in the 2010 Rising Stars game in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, out of a bullpen, he's consistently been a 94, 96, maybe a little bit better than that guy. I think he's a guy who has a chance to contribute to the big leagues the, for Boston in 2012. The big question for him has always been health. Absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's, had some, he's had some injury issues. He's had in the Tommy past. John in the past. But this was a seventh-round pick at a high school, unsigned, went to Kent State. Um, which, by the way, per- Kent State, which produces pitchers. Yeah, we talked about it yesterday on the college podcast. Is a, like they, they beat Georgia Tech this weekend, and that's this is not an upset. I mean, Georgia Tech, yes, it's expected to win that game, but Kent State always has pitchers. Uh, Scott Strickland, their head coach, was an assistant at Georgia Tech. Mike Birkbeck, former big leaguer, is a pitching coach there. Very widely respected. Hey, this is the same program that produced uh, Dirk Hayhurst. I was going to say. They I mean, obviously I mean, know what they're doing with pitchers. So Dirk Hayhurst, Chris Carpenter, now you got David Starr in there. Andy Seinenstein, by the way, a big leaguer came out of there. There, there are others. Um, but Kent State has a good recent history, of course, uh, the supplemental first-round pick last year, Susak. Not, not Susak. I can't remember the pitcher's name. Left-hander, he beat Texas in a regional. I just can't remember his name. Um, but they have had... A uh, consistent recent track record developing pitchers. So, yeah, Chris Carpenter falls right into that. And uh, and that's one of the reasons he's had a successful professional career as well. So a little bit of breaking news here on the podcast that you'll get later. The, uh, uh, obviously, it's been tweeted out during the show. We'll have, but, to, uh, we'll have a Trade Central analysis of it uh, at some point. Absolutely, Matt, Eddie, with that. So the Top 100 is up. Top 100 with analysis, uh, sidebars, 
the, this podcast, the chat, all kinds of content at BaseballAmerica.com today. So follow us on uh, Facebook, friend us on Facebook, or like us, I should say, on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, like and us. we'll be back later this week with another podcast here at BaseballAmerica.com. For Jim Callis and J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody.